Ash Wednesday service. For how many of you is this the first time you've been to an Ash Wednesday service? Raise your hand, would you? Well, it's fantastic to have you here. And every year we've, we've grown in this service, and uh, next year we want to have this place filled. And to do that, I want to deputize you, commission you to be a walking, talking authority on Ash Wednesday. Because especially if it's not been part of your faith tradition or if you're new to the Lord, this might seem like a very odd thing uh, to be doing. But it's not, and I'll tell you why. And if you already read these first couple of paragraphs, you understand why. But one of the things we want to do is in this rhythm of work and rest through a year and all the cumulative years of our life, we want to every once in a while stop and remember who we are, where we've been, and where we're going. And Ash Wednesday achieves that. It's not about humiliation. It's about humility. And so the tradition was, if people had committed a, a, a serious sin, a grievous sin, uh, they were required to repent publicly and, and experience humiliation. And so somebody asked me today, where did the phrase imposition of ashes come from? It was literally ashes, this cross was imposed on you as a sign of, of your failure. And, and the sackcloth was a way of saying, I confess and I repent my, my grievous sin. Um, as I started thinking about that, I thought, it must have been a righteous group of people back then if only a handful of people ever went through that. And I hate to tell you this, but I came to the serious conclusion that all of us need to do that. All of us need to do that. And yet, not as an act of being humiliated, but as an act of being reminded that we belong to the Father. That we are no longer lost to Him in Christ. We are found. We're not any longer those without hope or promise. We are those who are receiving his hope and are filled with his promise. And so it's good for us in the knowledge and the assurance of salvation by, by grace alone that we would never take that lightly, become complacent or flippant in the fact that, gee, I like to sin, God likes to forgive. What a great arrangement. But rather, isn't it awesome? I mean awesome, filling me with awe and wonder that God loves me the way he loves me. And so this is an opportunity for at least once a year for us to, to pause and to say, I want to humble myself before God, remembering that it could be said of me, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But rather because of Christ, it's said of me, live in grace and walk in love. And so this is a sober moment, uh, uh, but not necessarily a somber moment. It's a quiet, reflective time, but not because we have nothing to say but rather we want to listen to God, and so we're being silent before him. And so you see the structure of the service. I want to walk you through this so that it doesn't just come on you so fast you don't have a chance to enter into it, because this is a very structured service. We do so many things that everything we do is structured here, but it often feels like what we do is so informal here. That's on purpose. Uh, this is structured in a way that will allow us to focus. And so I want to walk you through this. So you see I'm doing this welcome and introduction in a few moments, Jake LeBeau will come up uh, with some other uh, leaders, but Jake in this first section is a leader. He is a leader throughout, and he will read a line, and then where it says people, all of us will respond in unison back to him as our leader. He's walking us into a transition from being out there where you didn't know where you were going to park to the fact that you are parked right here in the presence of God. So Jake will walk us through that standing at, at the mic. And then the band, the worship team, will lead us in a song to remind us, again, who we are, what the Lord has done for me. And then we're going to formalize this understanding of our repentance and humility, and Karen Fermidig will read 
some scripture that represents a call to confession. Uh, Sean Parr will read some scripture from Matthew, uh, moving that theme along. And then a series of readers, uh, Jessica Sacker, Craig Stevenson, Aaron Pesha, Kevin Webb, Janet Murray, Andy Franks, will then each read part of Psalm 51. And we will, as a congregation, which says people respond to that. And you might wonder, why would we formally confess our sins? Because it's so easy to not informally confess our sins. And so in this formal way, we recognize that all of us together represent what King David said in Psalm 51. This is true for all of us, even as God's grace is true for all of us. And so we'll read that. Andy will lead us in a time of silent prayer for a minute or so, and then, then, then pray for us. And then all the readers who've, who've been leading us together will say in unison... Uh, that we are no longer condemned in Christ. So that's a way of, of, of calling out the fact that we are forgiven in Christ. And if you came here tonight with any doubt about whether God accepts you or forgives you, this will confirm out of your confession in the midst of, of God's people that you are, in fact, restored by his grace. We'll sing another song, your name. I have a, a, a message about how, how Jesus restored Peter. And then we'll do this imposition of ashes. And again, this reminds us to whom we belong. And for some people, uh, that's such a daunting thing. If, if you, when you come forward, the typical thing is just to come um, before the, the people. There's one, two, one, two, three, four, right? So either you come from the front or you go from the back. And they will simply put a cross on your forehead or, if you prefer, on your hand. Historically, it's a forehead. But sometimes having it on your hand is, is such that you can look at your hand throughout the service and say, I belong to, I know who I belong to. So whether you want to put, have them put on your forehead or on your hand, just put your hand out if you prefer your hand. We'll sing that song, Amazing Grace. We'll enter into a time of uh, Holy Communion. And then we'll have another song together. And then you have a card and a, and a name tag on your place. Fill out the name tag, at least with your first name, so that as you come forward to receive the ashes, if, if anybody who's imposing the ashes does not know you personally, they can speak your name to you. And then you have a card. And after we sing Above All, uh, while there'll be some instrumental music, you have a chance, after what you've been thinking about, how God's been speaking to you in the course of the evening, to write down a brief prayer. That will be your prayer as you go through Lent over the next 40 days. And part of the challenge will be for you to, every day, pick up the prayer you wrote. Say, God, how are you meeting me in this prayer? You don't have to do that, but you're invited to do that. Uh, we'll sing a song called I Surrender All, signifying what this evening means. And then finally, uh, Evan will stand up and lead us in a benediction, and then we will exit in silence. In order for us to keep that mood of being in God's presence preserved until we go outside, and of course, as you drive home and you're with somebody, feel free to talk about what you experienced. You see the power of being in God's presence? It allows us to just go, so would you take a big breath, and then exhale. Do that one more time. I would ask you to do it a third time, but I want nobody, nobody to faint at this point. We simply want you to be relaxed in the presence of God. And so, Lord, I commit this evening to you. I thank you that you've called us together in your name, for your sake, to be reminded that we are saved by your grace. We can learn to live in it. You've given us your grace because of your love, and we can learn to walk in it. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Most holy God, we believe your Son, Jesus our Savior, came to save sinners. We come to the season of repentance this evening, confessing our own unworthiness, asking for new and honest hearts, and for the healing power of your forgiveness.
Joel 2, 12 through 17. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. He knows he may not turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Gain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? One John, one eight through nine. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Matthew chapter six, verses one through six. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verses 16 to 21. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face, and that it will not be obvious to men who are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because, your great, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. not withholding your Holy Spirit from me. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. a short time of uh, reflection, uh, so feel free to bring your sins before the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we come together and silently confess our sins before you, uh, we are so thankful uh, that you have invited us in together as a, a family here to walk and live in grace. Uh, as the service continues, would you just remind us of uh, what that grace feels like in the midst of uh, such sin and destruction that surrounds us. Amen. And join me in saying this absolution, uh, this word from God's word, Romans 8, 1, in response to our confession. Let's say this together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven, and you are free to live in grace and walk in love by his abiding presence. Amen.
inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name. Your name is the strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Context for what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk about being uh, being a believer, uh, but more than that, I want to talk about what it means to belong to God. And so, it's one thing to believe in God; it's yet another to be reconciled to Him and be in an ongoing relationship with Him. And so, if if, if let me just recap the gospel for you, if this is new to you, that God created us in His image for a larger purpose than simply survival and existence, but to live under him and to be stewards of all creation to manage his good gift in creation we see that in Genesis 1 and 2 in Genesis 3 a horrible thing happens we, we turn our backs on God we think we get a better deal and that broke the relationship between God and his creation and even at that moment uh, God made the commitment uh, to redeem his creation it's a very symbolic language uh, he let it be known that this was not the end of the story and so the rest of the Bible really is the development of that redemption 
And we see it culminating in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God himself coming into his own creation in a way that we can't really quite understand how that works, but he, he made it so. And what he said and what he did lined up perfectly with everything that the prophets had foretold. His claims, his character, his resurrection from the dead all confirmed the fact that he was, in fact, who he said he was. He, in fact, accomplished what he came to accomplish. He is the Lord who redeems his people. And so that's why we can sing that song, By Your Name. His name alone is the name by which we're saved. And it's not just the name. It's the person behind the name. And so following his resurrection, Jesus appeared 12 times. We have it documented. And apparently there were many other times as well, but these are the 12 we know about. And on the third occasion, when he appears to his disciples, we see this in John chapter 21. It said, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, also called the Sea of Galilee. So it's a body of water up in northern Israel. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Now, in my family growing up, uh, whether it was good news or bad news, we put the kettle on. If it's really good, let's have a cup of tea. If it's really bad, let's have a cup of tea. So if you come to our house any time of day or night, uh, we'll say, let's have a cup of tea. And, and sometimes just for no reason at all because I can't think of what to do. And so these guys are out fishing because in, in the shock and awe of this crucifixion of the one that they had hoped for to be the Redeemer of Israel and then the recognition that in fact he is the, the, the Redeemer of Israel and he's risen from the dead, they're still trying to get their heads around it. So what do you do? Let's go fishing. Let's fill some time. Make something productive out of this, this sense of, of awe and wonder and, and, and not just unbelief or disbelief, but oh, getting, getting our heads and hearts around what has just happened. And Peter especially, because if you know the story, he denied Jesus. Everybody ran away. But Peter actively denied him, having said, nothing and no one can make me deny you. And Jesus then having to say to him, Satan has asked that you would be sifted like wheat. And you will deny me before the rooster crows. And sure enough, that's what happened. So here they are going out to fish and they're not catching anything and that's not a good thing even for the most enthusiastic fishermen. Just being out in the water is really good but it doesn't get better until you catch fish. John tells us that at the same time early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them and nobody but Jesus would dare say this to a fisherman, right? Friends, haven't you any fish? No fish, huh? Oh, okay. How's the fishing out there? And they had a lot to say about it, but the collective answer was no. No. And then he said this, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, this could be a double entendre, right? As in, throw it on the correct side of the boat or just now, because you've already done it and nothing happened, throw it back over. Now notice here that Jesus is very specific. He doesn't just say, try again. But really what he's saying is, listen to me. 
On this occasion, Ash Wednesday, we haven't come into the presence of God to hear him say to us, try again, try harder, do a better job following me. What kind of a believer are you? How many times do you have to hear before you listen? No, he didn't say try again. He says, listen to me. And in the most tender way, this is an opportunity for you to let God take you on both sides of your face and put his face close to yours and say, listen to me. And it's not a listen to me of rebuke. It's a listen to me of tenderness. I really care about you. You can trust me. Listen to me. So when they did, it says, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, of course, there's an electricity rippling through them at this point in recognition that it was three years previous that they had had the same experience with Jesus. On the occasion of having caught no fish, he said to them, hey, do this. And when they did, they caught fish. And that started the whole process of them becoming his disciples. So here they were again. They returned to the place from which they started, and they understood it for the first time. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. For those of you who are new to this whole process of reading and, 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 and studying and interpreting the Bible, uh, this, is, this has become to the body of Christ over the last 2,000 years a, a humorous point. Because it's John's account of Jesus. And John was the youngest of the disciples and was referred to as, as, the, as, the, as the disciple Jesus loved. Jesus had a special affection for John. And so in, in the most wonderful way to be humble about the whole process, that he's telling this story, John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter. I guess he could have just said, and I said to Peter. But because he's humble... And wants it documented for all time. <laughs> and the beauty of that is that every one of us can say that. A dear friend who had a huge impact on my life, helping me come to know Jesus and grow in my faith, uh, was having dinner with us last week. And we were laughing and talking about her mother. Her mother was the mother of 14 children, and my dear friend was the 13th of 14 children. This woman was unflappable. Her mother was amazing. And, and uh, my friend's daughter uh, was having dinner with us as well, and she said, you know about my grandmother? She had 40 grandchildren. Every single one of us felt like we were her special one. Why? She lied to them. That's why. No. <laughs> No, it was because she loved them that way. She loved them so authentically and so genuinely, just where they are, where they were, at whatever age or stage of pleasantness or difficulty they were. She loved them in such a way that to this day, all 40 of those grandchildren and the 14 kids that still survive would say, oh my gosh, I was my mom's favorite. This is the beauty of what Jesus does for us, so much so that John could say that of himself. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. This just make, makes no sense to those of us who live near the beach. <laughs> Except that if you're half naked fishing and you're going to be on the shore where people are hanging out, you may as well take your clothes with you. And so he wraps his garment around him knowing it's going to get wet, but at least he'll have something to put on when he uh, is unencumbered from trying to swim and he can then be dressed suitably to be with Jesus and whoever else he might see. 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus had come for the third time to be with them, and now he's cooking them breakfast. Isn't this a wonderful picture? Early morning, they're dead tired from being up all night fishing. They're frustrated they haven't caught fish. They're still pondering, what does it mean that Jesus rose again from the dead? I've seen him twice now, and I still don't understand it. And he's cooking them breakfast. Is there anything more tender than having somebody simply cook you a meal of comfort food and put you at ease and allow you to come into their presence in a way you feel like, I'm really being cared for. You see, this is the beauty of what we do here tonight. It's a serious message. We're so lost without him. We're so often resistant to him, even having been found by him. And yet he treats us with such tenderness. He pays attention to our needs and invites us to listen to him and respond to him and be ministered to by him. So Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, I've got to just guess, nobody I've ever heard, read, studied, has figured out why 153, except that it's a story about fishermen, and you've got to know how many they caught. That's all I can figure. And it's one of those little details that we see throughout the Bible that makes us realize this is not just some big hero story written by some first century screenwriter intended to be a great movie someday. It's rather an eyewitness account of something, and, and every detail matters. As insignificant as it might seem to us, So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Is it really you? Are we just so tired that we're starting to hallucinate and imagine that you're here? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Again, can you imagine them remembering, oh, the kid with his lunch. There were 5,000 men and all the, the, the women and children along with them on that beautiful uh, lakeside natural amphitheater when Jesus spoke those words that Sean read. This is just like that. Some fish and some bread is going to feed us with them. And so then John tells us, this is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and now this is where having created the context for that deep heart-to-heart connection, you can trust me, I'm here for you, I care about you, and now we need to talk. So this is the part of Ash Wednesday and a part of Lent that can be intimidating to us. Because having said, look, You are welcome into my presence. I accept you 100%. There's nothing and no one that can separate you from my love. I know who you are. I know everything about you. And as we settle into that and relax and, yeah, then he says, so let's talk. And that's where we get uncomfortable. For the next 40 days, the Lord wants to talk with you. And it it scares us. Yeah, but what's he going to say? Well, if we trust him for who he is, if he's already laid down his life for us, if he's already given us yes, his abiding presence through his Holy Spirit, if he's given us his word, 
If he's called us to listen to him and walk with him, to live by his grace, to walk in his love, why do we get so nervous about trusting him to speak the words that we need to hear? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Some have conjectured he was speaking comparatively about the other disciples, which just makes no sense about who we know Jesus to be. It makes more sense that he's looking at the accoutrements of his profession, his identity, the source of his income, identity, and his influence. I'm a fisherman. I'm the only guy that could get the net of 153 fish out of the boat. That's me. I'm a man in full, and I've proved it on this lake time and time again. And now at this point, Jesus says, do you love me more than this? Because this is a convenient fallback, Peter. You're dealing with the shock and awe of your own betrayal, even as you're dealing with the shock and awe of my resurrection. Let's talk about that. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. You see, why does Jesus call us and and comfort us and then in the most tender but direct ways confront us? He not only wants to feed us, he wants to feed others through us. You have a ministry and a mission, and Ash Wednesday is simply one of those occasions we stop long enough to say, Lord, let me update my understanding of my mission. Let me update my understanding of the ministry you want to give me, because I have so disqualified myself so many times. I've given myself notice so many times that I guess I'm not qualified, I'm not capable. I, I, I take two steps forward, I take nine steps back. And it's times like this that the Lord says, remember who you are in me and remember what I'm putting in your hand and remember what I want you to do. Feed my sheep. Yeah, but how? Just feed my sheep. Yeah, but which ones? Just feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And and some commentators have said, well, he uses, do you phileo me? Do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? And then the final time he says, do you agape me? And that might be just an interesting way of John telling the story, or it might have some significance. But the fact is, each time he says, do you love me? And then he says, Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And at this point, and this is where it starts to really open up for Peter. The repetition is bothering him. Peter's given him the most honest answer he can, but it's really the equivalent of, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, really, everything is fine. And so Jesus presses in. Do you love me? And now Peter's hurt. He's hurt because he's going to have to go, you know, I love you, and yes, I betrayed you, and I will never forgive myself or forget what I've done. And it's as if Jesus is the one pushing on that tender spot. But really, it's Peter pushing on that tender spot as he's speaking to Jesus. Can you imagine? No, look what I did to you. Look what I did to you. Look what I did to you. And Jesus is holding out the nail-marked hands, saying, Do you love me? I'm not holding this against you. What I want is to draw you close to me, Peter. See, that's what Jesus is calling out to each one of us. I I know you love me, and I want to keep it at a safe distance because I really don't want to disappoint you. Because I know how easily I disappoint myself. 
I know you love me, but I don't want to get too close because I feel that, oh my gosh, I, I did this. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know all things. You know everything that I've done. You know everything I said I was going to do. And you know the massive gap between those two things. Jesus' claims, character, resurrection all lined up. Peter's claims, character, and betrayal all lines up. But in a way that makes no sense to anybody. And Peter knows it. So Jesus says one more time, feed my sheep. It's a vote of confidence. Not try again, but feed my sheep. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. At this point, I imagine he's lifted his eyes up and is, is talking to the whole group. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The question I ask myself and I ask you tonight, what are you holding on to that holds you back from your birthright in Christ? Hold on to my teachings. Don't hold on to your sin. Hold on to my teachings. Don't hold on to your regrets. Hold on to my teachings. Don't hold on to your bad habits. I forgave you of your sin. Why do you continue to carry it? Let it go. Stop holding on to that. Keep holding on to me. And hold on to these truths. And the truth will set you free. So Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth. He's talking to Peter again now. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. John tells us that Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You want to learn how to feed my sheep? Follow me. You want to understand how to love me and receive my love? Follow me. So it sounds like a description of old age is actually a prophetic word to Peter. You'll be led, and ultimately he was crucified upside down, the legend tells us. And John lived the longest of all the disciples, so he's the one who can tell us the story. So Peter turned and saw that the, <laughs> that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Because as they turned to walk away, right, he's following them. And Peter then says, Lord, what about him? And Jesus basically says the equivalent of, what about him? We're not talking about him. We're talking about you. Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Not to say that he will remain alive until I return. Jesus hasn't returned yet. But if I want, if, if I, if I want him to live forever, what does that have to do with you? I've given you a word about your demise, but I've also given you a, a command, a calling to feed my sheep and follow me all the days of your life. And so that's when Jesus finally says again, you must follow me. This is our call, brothers and sisters. We must follow him. We must follow him. Why? Because the call to follow Jesus is intensely personal. No one can follow him for you. You did not inherit your faith. You might have been influenced in your faith by godly parents or grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends, colleagues. They might have had so much faith on your behalf as they prayed for you, as they, as they bore witness to you about Jesus. But only you can follow Christ. And everybody's qualified to follow him. That's the crazy thing about the gospel. What qualifies us is our absolute total need for him. Is what qualifies us to follow him. 
Anybody who is, is perfect, don't get up. Stay right where you are. Anybody who's not perfect, please follow me. The room would be empty in a second, right? As fast as we could get out of the room, that's how fast it would empty. If Jesus said, come follow me, all of you who need what I have. So let me leave you uh, the takeaways from this. Jesus pursues them. He pursues you. Jesus prepares for them that fire on the beach. He has prepared for you. Jesus provides for them. He is providing for you. Jesus pardons them. He has pardoned you. Jesus puts their life in a larger context. Follow me, feed my sheep. He is putting your life in a larger context, his kingdom. That's why it's so important that we surrender all to him. Jesus permits us to glorify him in the circumstances of our particular life. Not the life you're going to live someday or the life you wish you were living, but the life you are actually living right now is a place where he is permitting you to glorify him, to shine for him, to receive and reflect all that he wants to give you. And finally, Jesus promises them that they will know the truth and be set free. He has promised that to us. Isn't that amazing? The same promise he made to the disciples is in turn a promise to each of us. Now you might say, oh no, no, my life is in such disarray right now, or I don't know enough, or, or I, I made some big errors. If I was to you know, be the real candidate for Ash Wednesday, I would be the guy with a cross on my forehead, sackcloth and ashes, saying I've broken every law known to God. I'm not qualified. Don't call something unclean that the Lord has called clean. Remember, that's what Jesus said to Peter. You might say, I'm not clean. You are clean in him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Karen read those words to us earlier. That's God's word. So he's promised to set us free as we learn to walk with him and learn from him. In repentance, that is, we turn toward him. In commitment, as we say, Lord, your will be done. In, a, in, a, in our openness to grow, to worship, to give, to serve, to be connected to a body and to the world in his name. That's his promise to us. So over the next 40 days, ask Jesus to fill your nets with what truly satisfies. Ask him to fill your nets with what truly satisfies. Lord Jesus, we know that nothing and no one can satisfy us but you. We know, Lord, that you didn't come to make us religious. You came to make us alive. You didn't come to make good people better. You came to seek and save the lost. And that's who we are and who we were. But in you, Lord, we are found. We are free. In the midst of our fears, we can find you faithful. And as we put our faith in you, we find that we are being filled with you and fulfilled in a way that we never thought possible. So we commit ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to um, uh, invite you. If you'd like to just sit there and, and be quiet before God, feel free to do that. But even so, you're going to have to move because this is tight quarters. And for those who want to receive the imposition of ashes, again, on your forehead, so just stand there uh, or on your hand if you like. Uh, put your hand out. 
uh, we're going we're to have to move very carefully here because there's only so much room. So, so uh, Evan is going to come up here and join me. Uh, actually, on this side, Evan, you'll be over there. And uh, I'm going to stand over here. And Michelle and Andy are going to be in the back. They're going to take uh, these bowls of ashes and oil. And the idea, again, is to simply, in a very sensate, tactile way, to have a sense that God is marking you because you belong to him. That's the way that's on your forehead, on your hand. The fact is you're simply presenting yourself to say, Lord, I, I belong to you. I want to be reminded in a very basic way, a very physical way. And so to do that, we're going to have to come out and, and, and in these close quarters somehow come out of our seats and get back to our seats. And so this is going to be really interesting, <laughs> really interesting. But because we are God's people and a family together, we just roll with it, right? We're just going to roll with it, and, and it's going to work out okay. So um, if you are in the back part of the room, uh, this, these sections here, you're going to go that way. And you have an easier go of it because you can go out, eat a row at a time, receive the ashes, and come back in. And likewise, you guys, this part, not so much over here. So what we're going to have to do is to, uh, for, for you guys to go out, uh, receive the imposition of ashes, hang out, come back. You guys have easy go back. You guys, a little trickier, come out and make your way back in. So we'll be patient and, and gracious with each other. So uh, as some music plays, uh, please come forward if you'd like. And uh, even if you're not going to receive the ashes, you need to come out so the other people around you can come. So starting with the front rows, and then as each row goes back, the next row will follow, okay? For you, you stay right there. I'm going to come
prayer that you want to offer to God over the next 40 days. And your prayer is not so much what you're going to give up, but it's what you want to receive from Him. It's not so much what you have to give Him, it's, it's more, Lord, what do you want to put in my net?
On that night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and having blessed it, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup, and having blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. And what is it that we remember? We remember, first and foremost, his incredible love that caused him to come after us, to seek us, to let nothing stand between him and us, to make it possible for all of us by faith to be restored in relationship with him. And the second thing that he wants us to remember about it is that it's an ongoing relationship with him. It's not just a moment in time, it's momentum through time. And we need to be sustained in that. And he feeds us the, the cup, the bread, the symbols of life, vitality, sustenance, growth, refreshment. And so that's what we do is receive the bread and the cup. And so uh, the, the communion teams will come forward. And basically, um, if you're not a believer, uh, pass it along. If you are a believer... No matter how you would rate yourself, <laughs> and we do that, don't we? Uh, if you are a believer on the on the scale of zero to a million, and you come where somewhere in there, like at the zero end, uh, or even if you're way up there, like at two or three, this is for you. If you've not yet received Christ, then then this is not for you because, in a sense, you're calling judgment on yourself. You're saying, "I don't believe it, but I'm going to pretend." But if you are here tonight saying, "I believe God's breaking through." and I want to receive him as my Lord and my Savior, then receive this as your first communion. So, Lord, we present these elements to you, praying that you would sanctify them in your name, consecrate them. Lord, we know that in a way that's mysterious, beyond our imagining and understanding, you are present in these elements, even as you are present in this place. You're not contained in them. You are Lord over them, and you use them to minister your grace to each one of us. And so we receive that grace that we might live in your love, both now and forevermore. Amen. So those who are receiving, serving communion, please come forward.
all receive it and we'll drink it together. So in the full assurance of faith, with the full acceptance of the Father, 
through the full commitment of his son. We are filled with the presence of God in the name of Jesus. So we drink this, symbolizing the unity in Christ that is ours now and forevermore. Let's drink this together in his name. We're going to sing a song called I Surrender All. And to make this your prayer before Evan comes up to bless us with a benediction, let this be your prayer of committal to him. Let it shape the prayer that you have written or that you will write that will be your guide every day throughout Lent. As you look at that prayer, feel free to add to your prayer every day. But look at that prayer and say, Lord, how is it uh, that you want me to open my heart, my mind to you to be filled with the things that I need? And let your prayer reflect that, even as this song reflects your desire for that. Let's continue worshiping him. Take those cups and pass them to the end if you would, and we'll collect them.
help the afflicted, honor all people, love and serve the Lord, rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you, and the blessing of God Almighty, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you, and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen.